This is the Power of Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're very happy to be here. The Power of Partnerships, one of our newer series in 2020. Yes, what an interesting year this is. Let me open up with, let's see here. We have an interesting quote I'm going to start with from a website, weforum.org. That's W-E-F-O-R-U-M-O-R-G. Listen to this. New digital business models are the principal reason why just over half of the names of companies on the Fortune 500 have disappeared since the year 2000. Now, if you do the math, that's 20 years. In a lifetime, that's a lot of years. But in business, it just all gets compressed at some point. And you say, what? What happened to all those companies? So let me tell you what we're talking about today. According to Deloitte's Tech Trends 2020 Prepping for Disruption Innovation Report, and disruptive innovation is what we're talking about, the next stage of digital evolution will transform businesses in unpredictable ways. And we're seeing that this year, the year of the pandemic, with leading companies realizing that every aspect of their organization that is disrupted by technology represents an opportunity to gain or lose trust. And trust is a key word in business today. The most interesting opportunities often materialize at the intersection of several technology forces and advances. The most effective enterprise strategies will likely progress thanks to, listen up, purposeful implementations and fascinating mergers of multiple trends. There's a lot of optimism in there. Let me tell you a little bit more before I ask my panelists to introduce themselves. And will you hear who's on the panel today? This is going to be interesting. The impact of COVID-19, and yes, we're still in it. It is now what today is October 15th, 2020. We're nearing the end of a year. We hope we'll go away and a better one coming soon. The impact of COVID-19 is forcing companies to adapt and innovate even faster in these challenging economic, social, and environmental conditions. And we're all living it we know that's true. The key to success is an innovation program that aligns business strategy, employees, technology platforms, and ecosystems with customer needs. That's a lot to get your arms around. So we have an A-team today, and I'll tell you why. The first names of my panelists are Alex, Axel, and Alish. And our engineer is Aaron. So we have a four-part A-team. So we have Alex Brayshaw. We have Axel Denise Johannes. He said I pronounced that right. And Alish Valls. And he spells his first name A-L-E-I-X. So we're being respectful of all the A's today. We're going to ask them to share their experiences and their outlook for 2021 on our topic today, disruptive innovation in a new world era. And everybody put your hands together for Nula Spooner, who put together this. Come on, panel. Let's have a sh- a applause for Nula, who works so hard behind the scenes. And she's here literally behind the scenes with us on Zoom. Nula, thank you so much. So let's go around. the t- And I'm Bonnie D. Graham, as the announcer said. Let's go around the table. Alex Brayshaw, I'd like you to introduce yourself to the audience. I know you have a global reputation, but there might be a couple of people in our audience who don't know who you are yet. So Alex, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what is your passion for this topic? Alex, welcome. Thank you so much, Bonnie, and uh, really pleased to be here. And I'm now part of the infamous A-team, which is incredible. Um, So who am I? I'm a marketing guy um, and an absolute lover of technology. Um, I've spent 
the last 20 years or so being surrounded and inspired by some of the most creative people, people from conceptual gurus to behavioral scientists to coders, journalists, data scientists and strategists, um, all of whom have been disruptive in a good way and innovative in their own way. Um, and I've been lucky enough to create marketing for some of the world's leading tech brands. So personally, I've seen at an early stage the birth of things like 5G and IoT and machine learning and AI and all of the uh, acronyms that people I'm sure will come to know and love. Um, but I've also seen the potential for that technology innovation. But ultimately for me, and what I want is kind of the area for me that's of interest is about creating the right environment for technology innovation. So how do you get great minds to come together to bring different perspectives and skills and attitudes, energies and beliefs? And ultimately we're going to fail. Sometimes we're going to fail. In fact, sometimes we're going to create magic. We're going to create disruption. We're going to innovate. But it's always exciting. And one of those people who I've worked with is a guy called Rory Sutherland. And he always says, remember, if you never do anything differently, you'll reduce your chances of enjoying lucky accidents. And I love that. So I'm really looking forward to today debating and discussing the topics. And I love the fact we're each, the A-team, we're all from very different backgrounds. I'm kind of keen to hear what uh, everyone thinks about the topics today. And, uh, and for me, the difference it's going to make to the world as we go into the future. Alex, wonderful to have you here. What did you say, missing the chance for a lucky? What was that last phrase? So, yeah, so uh, remember, if you never do anything differently, you'll reduce your chances of enjoying lucky accidents. Lucky accidents. You know, I begin to think sometimes that life is, that we're all here. This is a very lucky accident. I'm not referencing COVID, but in a way it is. You, you just never know. Thank you for that introduction. And I have to tell our listeners, I get to see my panelists here on Zoom. We're in the Zoom room. And I'm not going to say what Alex has behind him, but it's a gorgeous virtual collage of a famous singer whom we will be quoting in a few minutes. So it's it's virtual and it's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And you'll all hear about it in a minute. Thank you, Alex, for kicking this off. Now, let's go around. Our next guest to introduce himself is Axel Denise Johannes. Axel, we're so happy to have you here as well. In case there's 3.2 people in the world who don't know who you are, why don't you talk to them and tell them what you do, why you're here, and what is your passion for this topic? Axel, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So um, right now, you know, I'm with PwC, which is the world leading um, um, audit and consultancy in the, in the uh, firm. And what I'm doing there is I'm spearheading our open innovation program in Germany. That means I'm connecting outside innovations with uh, teams inside the company. And that's especially interesting because it's at the intersection between, you know, ideas and innovation that come from the inside, let's say inside out, or and um, the other hand outside in. Um, that's obviously a very interesting intersection here when you think about innovation as, you know, something that humans produce in a sense that they're just you know, coming up with innovations because they're geniuses, that <laughs> might be true. But on the other hand, my personal experience is innovation is teamwork. So the more inspiration you get, um, the better. And um, well, the passion for the topic, you know, in my life came very early. I had a first career as a filmmaker. Um, yeah, and I really believe, you know, art and uh, innovation is they have pretty much the same source 
Um, so I believe innovation is an art form. You know, artists are since centuries very well at you know creating new, the creating the new basically. Mm-hmm. And I believe companies and 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 industries and product people and innovators are a kind of artists. So. That's basically my take here. Um, it's been with me all my life, all my career, coming from the art uh, into the business world. Um, I have taken this one with me. Axel, that was beautiful. Innovation is an art. Never thought about it quite that way. We often say something is an art and a science, but the art of innovation, and, and let me ask you a question. Do you think that the art of innovation in terms of, yes, I have a great idea, or let's do something a different way in order for it to be used, to be implemented, to be embraced, to be adopted, to even give it a little chance that that takes a little bit of science, in other words, the science of collaboration and trust and, and teamwork. Uh, do you think that in order to get an innovation to, to have people actually use it, you have to take it more into the business world, whatever your business is? Just a, a quick thought from you, from your filmmaker perspective, what do you see? Very good question, Bonnie. Thank you. So, (laughs) you know, I believe when it comes to art, most of the time, great art had someone pay for it. Mm. No, most of the great art pieces have have been made on, um, you know, as a a job, basically. Um, So that's why creating the new is also a kind of job. So obviously, it's not only about inspiration and creativity, but it's also about, you know, the science of get your job done right. Um, And if you wish, um, most of the innovation that happened today has uh, a boss. And nowadays, innovation, I guess, the boss of most innovations we see outside is the customer. Um, mm-hmm. Customers demand new stuff. Um, customers demand answers. Um, humans demand answers on pressing problems in the world. So um, we're basically all our all our, our you know the innovators community is here to serve um, this um, to serve this boss basically. Thank you very much. Thank you for indulging my question, my sidebar, Axel. I appreciate it. I I didn't know you were a filmmaker. I think that's fascinating. People end up in tech. They end up in business, and we don't know where they started or or where some of us are going. Fascinating. We have our third panelist, Alicia, is waiting patiently. I said that to a third panelist once about a year ago, Alicia. And when I brought the gentleman on, we were doing radio on phones. We weren't using Zoom at the time. He said to me, how do you know I'm patient? I've been sitting here tapping the floor and moving around. I can't wait to be introduced. So, Alicia, I will say just welcome, Alicia Files. We'd love to know who you are, what's your background, and what's your passion for the topic. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you for having me, Ronnie. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And, and li- listen to, to, to the other panelists. I would say, since we are the A team, that we are mixing not just the A, also the L and the X in the three names. I think it's not just the beginning of the name. It's amazing no? how, how we can create different names with few letters. The, the question here for me, my, my background is, I try to become a, a profession, a, a mathematician at the beginning of my career. Mm. But, but I fail because I'm here and I'm not a famous mathematician nowadays. And, but I discovered on mathematics something that can, sounds really, really weird for, for a lot of people that suffers mathematics. That is, mathematics is closer to art more than science. Mm. Okay. 
in, in fact, when, when you think in mathematics, the, the scientific method didn't apply to mathematics because mathematics, if you prove something, it's true forever. Th th that, at the end, changed me completely and I ended up being a weird guide, difficult to adapt to corporate environment. Hmm. And I tried to find a ways to try to get this knowledge into something that can be useful. At the end of the day, it looks like mathematics is not going to be my way of living. And I, I discovered something that in the business world, it was called innovation, where when you are able to cross, intersect, and connect dots, as somebody say once, is something that ends up creating business value. And I see innovation as this game, if you want, where you're able to mix different inputs, different insights, and at the end of the day, be able to connect something that has some sort of a business value for someone. I have been working on innovation for a while. I have been trying to fit into the corporate world. It didn't end up really well for, for the corporation, but I decided like three years ago to, to create my own lab. This is Liquid, and since then, we are mainly doing what we like to do. And as a result, there are clients that are willing to, to join us or, or people, companies that are willing to join us in this venture, where mainly what we are doing is creating new business models for us and for them. I, I'm so intrigued by what you said about mathematician. I think I was supposed to be a math major somewhere along the line, Alish. <laughs> uh, I participated in a math team when I was in junior high school. Now, many of you will not recognize the term junior high. It's called uh, middle school, I think. And we traveled from school to school, Alish, as a team of four or five of us. And we sat in a room with a proctor and a, a stopwatch. And we were given very difficult, very unusual math problems. And we had on the clock to solve them and submit our answers in writing. And then whatever team had more right answers won. And I found that absolutely fascinating to get your mind to work in different ways than you actually did in math class. So you probably are applying all of your mathematician uh, proclivities or interests. And, and those early skills to what you do if you created a company. Just let me ask you, how did you pick the name Liquid for your company? It's a beautiful name. And you talked about not fitting into the corporate mold and your clients are along with you joining with you for that ride. So how did you pick the name Liquid? It, it's not us. It was Sigmund Bauman, the philosopher, about the liquid society we are living. And since we have a really strong digital background, because the only thing I think we do well is to try to understand digital in a business sense, it, it, it fits in a natural way. I think one of the results of this digital transformation of our society is that our society is becoming more liquid. And we take liquid as a name and fits, I think, with the idea of the Sigmund Bauman about this uh, postmodern society that is a liquid society where anything is solid, no? even our way to understand values and ethics. Thank you very much. I feel like I'm speaking to a poet, not a mathematician. Gentlemen, great introductions. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm glad you're all here. Fascinating group. And I love that, yes, we have four letters, basically, that have been turned around and, and added. We added an extra one letter, the I, to Alicia's name. And I don't know how Nula found all of you for this panel, but she said to me, I'm bringing you an A-team. And Nula, you sure did. Very, very special. So let's go to the part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me a quote from a movie, 
from a song or from somebody who wrote a movie or wrote a song. And the reason I mentioned there's a gorgeous virtual collage behind Alex Brayshaw is that Alex has sent us a quote from David Bowie. So if you could see what I see, there is this phenomenal collage of Bowie images in all kinds of hairdos and hair colors and and costumes and stage presences and, and looks like movie roles and just phenomenal behind Alex, I've never seen a virtual background like that, Alex. So bravo to you. Let me just give a little background. In case there's one human being that doesn't remember who David Bowie was, shame on you. David Robert Jones, 1947 to 2016, known professionally as David Bowie, B-O-W-I-E. If you're young and want to look him up, was an English singer, songwriter, and actor regarded as one of the most influential musicians of the 20th century. His career was marked by reinvention and visual presentation. Interesting. Uh, and let's see. During his lifetime, his record sales estimated over 100 million records. Now, if somebody doesn't know what a record is, that's what we used to call music on vinyl. And it was either a 45 when I was 45 RPM, you put a little spindle on it, you put a needle on it, it played on a record player, or and then it went to, I guess, DVDs and CDs and all kinds of different. Anyway, 100 million records worldwide made him one of the best selling music artists of all time. Here's the quote. And I don't know where this is from, and perhaps Alex can tell us that. Mm-hmm. I feel confident imposing change on myself it's a lot more fun progressing than looking back that's why i need to throw curve balls what a beautiful quote alex where in the world did you find this one uh, Go ahead, alex. He, thanks buddy. i mean he's a genius he's an absolute genius and that was from the 90s it was kind of i think it was during a gig actually he was uh, he was on stage and it was something he said um as he was as he was talking between some of the some of the music but uh, i think it's interesting to about 100 million record sales i think in today's world he'd probably he'd be probably it'd be a billion streams or probably five billion streams i should think knowing uh, what he achieved so i think anyone that knows me they know i'm a, a huge uh fan of bowie he's, he's been my hero musically and artistically you know music is just a part of who he was and and actually what was a lovely link is he was from my hometown so he was from this place in uh, uh in the uk um which is where i'm from as well so it was a lovely kind of nice to kind of be associated with that as well and sort of know some of the, the places he talked about when he was a, as a, he was a kid. Um, but as you said, he's, he was the master and I think probably one of the undisputed masters of innovation. And mm-hmm. he sort of moved through trends and decades and managed to be contemporary and, and also very disruptive in the yes. things he did. It's when you look back and you sort of put it in context of those periods, he was doing things that just hadn't been done before. And that is the kind of key to um, what artists can do. Um, and even up to his death, sadly, which is still, you know, incredible, really, that that's happened and he's not with us. But it was tragic. It was a shock. But he choreographed the whole thing to the, to the nth degree. And it was, it was artistic to the end. And he used it to make a statement about humanity and fragility and, and ultimately created probably what was one of his finest albums and a genius piece of music. So it was, it was kind of a culmination of his life in this moment. And it, and it just sort of surmised his, his innovative kind of nature. And, and that was incredible. But for me, that was kind of the surface with the music and it's all great but what's interesting is you learn more about him it wasn't just about him creating music it was actually about what i said at the beginning he created an environment that allowed him to be inspired so he he surrounded himself with inspirational people he put himself in situations that gave him um 
things to think about, allow them to kind of be part of that um, zeitgeist, um, and also events that kind of really kind of allowed him to kind of develop his kind of creative um, thinking. He kind of challenged himself. He, he asked people to challenge him. Um, so the way he made music was very disruptive. And there was a, um, there's a great book that I, I kind of quote quite a lot because I love it. Um, it's a book by um, this guy, Tim Harford, called Messy, um, which is about kind of creative thinking and stuff. Um, and he talks about the fact that Bowie worked with Brian Eno. Um, and Brian Eno was probably, you know, he probably confounded the people he worked with because he would put them in difficult situations. He'd give them the wrong instruments to play. He'd throw random tasks at them. He'd throw weird music at them. And he'd kind of create this very intense atmosphere. But the idea being he would get the ultimately best piece of music, best piece of art out of those sessions. And some of those sessions produce some of Bowie's greatest albums. So it always comes back to my kind of desire to create these environments, put interesting people together to, to kind of create different viewpoints that, that just spark these bits of magic. And, and I think that ultimately gets the best out of people as well. So for me, it's the process he went through as much as the music he produced. Thank you very much. Very interesting. While you're speaking, Alex, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if companies are saying to their people, we need to innovate, we need to disrupt. It's not just about the technology, it's about what technology we pick, how we use it, what we do with it, right? It's not, oh, we've got AI, oh, we've got ML. It's what do you do with it? How do you apply it? How do you make a difference? How do you impact your business processes? And how do you help your customers? And how do you reach new customers and turn them into loyal people? So if, if a business was to say, listen to this, what if you had a business seminar? I'm talking to all of you. And you said to them, we're going to study the music of David Bowie and his career to see how he was a disruptive innovator or an innovative disruptor. What can we learn from looking at the art of somebody who approached music in a whole different way, no boundaries, no hard walls, and what can we do to inspire our company to think equally creatively and look for that magic? Alex, thank you. Beautifully done quote explanation. Really appreciate it. Let's go to Axel, and Axel has picked a quote. I think I helped you find this one. Axel's quote is from The Godfather, a 1972 American crime film, the first installment in The Godfather Father trilogy. It, it was directed by Francis Ford Coppola, a very famous director. He co-wrote it with Mario Puzo based on Puzo's 1969 novel. And the film starred Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Caan, and Robert Duvall. I'm looking for names I and Diane Keaton. Those are the ones I recognize. Okay, now here's the quote. I'm going to do my best to do this properly, Axel. So bear with me here. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Okay, Axel, take over. Rescue me, please. What does this quote mean to our topic, Axel? <laughs> wow. Was that a replay from the movie? Or <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So I liked it. I liked it how you did it because um, it's very direct. And I find it, you know, it's kind of a mission, uh, a mission statement, if you wish, for my, for my work. And also, I believe it's a good mission statement for every innovator out there. Why? Because nowadays, customers, you know, are very, very, very flexible. They can come and go, you know, very fast. And making an offer you cannot refuse to me, means basically you have come up with an awesome product. Mm. An offer that you cannot refuse to me is 
if your customers love your product, they actually um, stay, you know. Um, and, you know, keeping customers nowadays is a very, very, very difficult topic. And um, how do you do it? So first of all, you have to reinvent your own product over and over every day. You should never rest, you know, when you came up with a great product and you've got customers, you need to keep it great, you know, because otherwise um, someone else will come up and grab those customers right away. So making offers that customers cannot refuse is very, very hard. And um, let me just say it's a mission statement for, 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 for to innovate every day, like, you know, Jeff mm -hmm. Bezos at Amazon does with his, you know, there's always a day one. Um, you should never rest, uh, never stop innovating. And actually, I want to share a good book because you, Alex, inspired me to do so. Um, if you really want to know how to hook customers, there's a book that's called Hooked, actually. It's written mm. by Nira Yal, a great um, behavioral scientist, designer, product person I knew uh, from uh, living in the Silicon Valley. So the book Hooked actually tells you a lot about making customers an offer they can't refuse. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Absolutely fascinating. And thank you for mentioning the book. I saw the heads nodding up and down. Uh, I know Alish knows the book. Very, very interesting. Thank you for using that quote the way you did, Axel. I didn't know what to expect, how you were going to use it. And you certainly did. The idea of embracing what a customer, what a prospect needs, turning them into a customer, loyal, being there with you, being part of that decision to move ahead with something. And how do they use it? And how does it help their business or help the world run better? Whatever you want to say about it. Wonderful. Just wonderful. Thank you. Alicia, Thank you I'm for getting... the reenactment, Bonnie. Oh. I'm so <laughs> I laughed so hard I had to pull all the way back from my microphone so I didn't hurt our engineer's ears because he can't control the volume coming out of Zoom. I didn't want to upset him. Aaron will talk to me after the show. My pleasure. Okay, Alicia <laughs> sent us a quote from somebody I've never heard of, but Alicia, I should have. The quote is from Baz Luhrmann. B-A-Z is his first name, Luhrmann, L-U-H-R-M-A-N-N. -N, and it's from his album, Something for Everybody. He It features music from many of his films and includes his hit song, Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen. And the quote Alicia selected is, wear a sunscreen. But let me just give you a little bit of the lyric from the first stanza of that song and then a little bit about who Baz Luhrmann was. His first name is Bazmark, B-A-Z-M-A-R-K. He was born Mark Anthony Luhrmann, 1962. Australian, Australian director, writer, producer. His projects span film. Talk about disruptive and innovation. Film, TV, opera, theater, music, and the recording industries. Four of his films are in the top 10 highest worldwide grossing Australian films of all time. Anybody heard of Strictly Ballroom 1992, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet 1996, and of course Moulin Rouge from 2001, Great Gatsby from 2013. Oh my, and here is just the brief lyric from the start of the song. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 97, wear a sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, Sunscreen would be it. A long-term benefit of sunscreen have been proved by scientists. And the song goes on from there. <laughs> Alish, rescue me. Baz Luhrmann, talk to me. How did you find this quote, wear a sunscreen? I found it years ago and I, um, because uh, I don't know how that song I find it that so our friends recommended whatever, and, and I, I, I read the story that the, the lyrics of the song it comes in fact from an article in a local newspaper 
from uh, from a journalist, and then it that became a, a famous song. And I like it a lot for the times we are living now. This concept of this simple piece of advice: we are sunscreen, no more. And from that, the song is giving you so many advice, but not as an advice, just as a, a food for thought. And I think that today is with this environment that is changing so fast, as one of you point out at the beginning, how the lifetime of companies is getting every time shorter and shorter. There are no advice that comes from the past that we can take it really seriously, that is going to be a recipe for the future. And we need to question ourselves in the basic foundations of our business and the way we have been doing business for the last years to come. And at the end of the day, the advice that I can give to my clients is the same one. We are sunscreen. That it's it. From there, we need to start to build the, the, the whole our company is going to look into the future because most probably what we have assumed that is our core business, our fundamental DNA can be profound challenge, or if not defeated by others that are jumping into the scene with new rules, with new way to engage with customers. And this is what I think is all about this, this idea of disruptive innovation. More than ever, reaching clients has become a democratic, simple, easy game before it was unexpected and since it's so simple it became really complicated to hook the client into your product and i was uh, i was moving my head because now i'm rereading these days hook the book that axel recommends and i'm mm -hmm. rereading for second time because i'm i'm sorting out some sort of sessions about how to create good products on the digital space and this book it can be a good example of how difficult at the same, how, how good is a good product, how difficult it is to create a good product nowadays. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you all for the wonderful quotes and wonderful explanations. I'm feeling so inspired, almost poetic, the, the quotes you picked and how you explained them all. So I appreciate it. Now we're going to go into the really serious part of the show. And this is where I've asked each of you to send me a couple of discussion statements that we'll use as conversation starters. So here's how it's going to work. I've already negotiated with Alex Brayshaw through the private chat, which statement we're going to start with. We're going to start with his number one. I'm going to read a little bit of the statement. It's very provocative and ask Alex to spend two minutes, not on the clock, but approximate, please, talking about expanding it, unpack it, as they say in the news, Alex. Tell us what you mean by this and how does it apply to our, our wonderful topic. It is a really good topic today, by the way. And then I'm going to go around the table and ask Axel to chime in. Axel, I'll simply say agree or disagree. Do not give me a one-word answer. We want to know what you're thinking. And then, Alicia, I'll ask you to agree or disagree with either Alex and or Axel or both. Then I'm going to pick a statement from Axel and we'll go around the table and one from Alicia. Let's see what we can accomplish in the next, ooh, 20, three minutes. I think we can do some, do some hard work here. So Alex told me the following. He said, when you look at human development, we encourage children to play, to be creative, to explore. We give them room to develop and early years education does this too. Then they hit high school and structure is imposed. I'm going to stop there. Alex, take it over. What do we mean by this? Talk to me. It's <laughs> um, actually exactly mentioned a little bit earlier, so I'm kind of pleased. Hopefully uh, he's got some support for this as well, but maybe he'll disagree. Um, but what I'm, what I'm talking about is that um, 
I think the topic we're talking about, disruptive innovation, if we want to foster it and encourage it, I think we've got to look right back at how we're teaching people to understand what it is to be creative. Um, and I've, I've got two young kids, so I'm kind of understanding kind of how they're learning and you know kind of how they're developing and kind of the, the sort of the test and trial of things. So if you if you look at um, you know, the way uh, creativity is ultimately the heart of innovation. So how do you t teach that? Um, and actually, there's some research out there that says in most education, um, people believe that creativity is kind of a natural talent. It can't be taught. And actually, it's, it's quite a misconception about it. Um, and actually, I'm also, so I'm also, I'm working with some university students as well. So I'm looking at it from sort of very young children. So they're being creative and problem solving. I'm talking to university students and I'm expecting them to be problem solvers and creative. And actually, there's this big chasm in the middle where this kind of thing all fell apart. Um, and I'm kind of being quite generic provocatively, but if you look at the systems that have been put in place, most of it is driven by measurement. And actually, uh, educational authorities say, but, you know, we need to measure the teachers, we need to measure the schools, we need to measure the pupils, they must be measured. And the only way we can measure them is with very specific um, topics. And actually, the idea of measuring creativity um, is just too difficult. You know, we can't measure creativity, you can't measure creative problem solving and creative thinking. But actually, um, what's quite reassuring is, uh, as I've started researching this topic, I've already started to see some countries looking at this and really rethinking their teaching models and behaviours, which is which is great. So I was looking at an example uh, in Buenos Aires, um, and they are creating in their schools, uh, in the school I was looking at, they've created a, a maker space and a learner space, which from my industry, I'm very used to that. That's the kind of things we use to come up with ideas and get people collaborating, but they're using it. They've turned, they've turned their library into a maker space, into a learner space, which is a totally different environment that kids can collaborate um, it's promoting innovative thinking. It's allowing them to express ideas and challenge existing ways of doing things in a really different kind of way. And actually, it takes them out of the classroom and makes them, um, and it gives them, and, and they're looking at the way they, they're measuring this as not, we're not going to measure the output, we're just going to measure the way in which people learn. Um, and there's also, there was another example I saw in um, Ho Chi Minh City. Um, and they're, they're doing something really interesting. So they're, of course, like most schools, they're teaching the use of technology. But what they're thinking about is, what are the future of these kids going to use technology to do? And how do we, if we teach kids to be creative problem solvers, to be creative, and it doesn't matter if it's mathematics or physics or any of the sciences, they're just saying, how do you add creativity? Because they are all creative, and I'm glad Alex said that, because these are all cr creative areas so they said to these kids we're going to teach you how to be creative and um but what we're preparing you for is for you to be able to work alongside um self-learning machines ai tools mm -hmm. because we know you're going to be kind of matched with these people in the work environment and what we're going to do is try and create a, a group of people who are adaptable creative and that's going to allow you to work the best alongside the, the technology that's coming. And I think that that foresight to really look at it at a young age and see where those kids are going to go, how their careers and futures are going to develop, that for me is the incredible bit. And I think that's the real innovative side of it. Thank you very much. Axel, join us. Agree or disagree? So, Alex, very interesting. Thank you. So, 
I believe that you, there are two two things here. The, the one thing is, um, and I totally agree, right? To <laughs> say it up front, <laughs> um, the one thing is education uh, that you mentioned. So um, I strongly believe in upskilling, and you know most companies do that because they believe their workforce is not digital enough. So they throw millions of hours of trainings uh, worth billions of dollars at at their workforce for digital upskilling. But um, you're right, and that's the second thing I agree to. You cannot create disruptors, you know, in your companies by upskilling. Um, there is more to that. And I think your t second topic is how do you incentivize and how do you give a framework for innovation? Um, and that is where I believe um, most of the training dollars um, go out the window because then the framework to actually innovate is not there in the company after the training. So um, I totally agree um, that you don't only have to educate people um, to be childish, to be innovative, but then you also have to give them the room to, to do so. And that's why I would actually end with my strong, um, very strong uh, shout out there. Innovation is a CEO topic. You can't delegate it. You must give people freedom in every company that has to come from the top. So I'm very happy. And it, to be in a company where the CEO is actually on the forefront of innovation. And if it's not the case, you probably end up with structures that are not very uh, friendly to innovation. And But the same is true for startups. You know, it doesn't make a difference how large your company is. Um, um, innovation starts at the top and must give uh, then room to everybody to, to flourish there. Thank you. Wonderfully said, Ali Schwalz. Join us, please. What do you think? I, I, I agree with my colleagues, and I will try to add something. Always being the last is more complicated, but I will try to add a little bit more. I think one thing that I miss from 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 companies and, and from people working there is to enjoy do nothing. We are living in a world where there is no time to be bored is one of the most horrible things. But I think that you need to be bored to be creative. And this is something that at the same time we see with kids. They are never bored. They have to be always entertained. And this is quite, I think, related to this digital intensive environment where we are living. When always there is something to be checked, something to be answered, something to be seen or to be to be listened with mobile phones, wherever. And, and I think we are in a deep crisis that I call this shallow work crisis. Nobody, or I didn't say nobody, not so many people is doing deep work. Mm. And, and to be creative and be able to be creating something that we end up being useful is a tough work. It's a deep work. It's not a shallow work. It's not something that you can do between WhatsApps, emails, many meetings with agenda that is packed day to day with meetings that just are managerial meetings. If you really want to disrupt an industry, if you really want to understand a customer behavior and on that be able to build something that disrupts an entire industry that creates an amazing product, I can assure you that this is not something that happened 
between these five minutes that you have between meetings mm -hmm. and in these 20 people meetings that you are just supervising the works of the others with these mm -hmm. amazing PowerPoints that are really nice design to just be able to make you solo all the, the, all the corporate machine. And this lack of, I don't call it creativity maybe, or is some sort of creativity is, is deep work. Be able to find time to think deeply into something is I think at the root of create something. Thank you. Uh, wow. I, I just want to sit back and take in everything you all said. I, I'm just going to use a word I haven't heard in a long time. I think you're all brilliant thinkers. You have brought up so many, and I say that with, with deep respect. Uh, you have brought up so many aspects of creativity and how it works or should work in companies from the idea that it has to come from the top down. I love the idea of shallow thinking versus deep thinking. You can't do it on the fly. It has to be something you put some thought into it and some energy and space and time. Wonderful. I'm in the interest of time. I'm going to move on, even though I'd love to have the and Alex. Thank you for that that statement that started this wonderful conversation. See, this is this is how it works when we do an unscripted show where you just get to all think about things together with me, and I love that. So let's go on to Axel has sent me. I'm looking at your statement number one, as you know, and and interesting. He says the speed of transformation will never be so slow again. We've we've heard that paradigm because traditional industries and their value chains as as we know them converge and blend into each other, there will be no industry, no clear industry boundaries anymore. Axel, take me through this. This is interesting. Then we'll go around the table. It'll be Alish next and then, Al uh, then Alex. I got to get my A's right. Axel, go ahead. You're up. Well, I guess one of the main characteristics in today's business world, as Alish even named his company after, is liquidity. And it's the same aspect that uh, I want to bring up here. So um, there is a famous quote, you know, I, I sit in Berlin, Germany. So um, we used to have great car makers. Um, they're still great. But um, one of the former CEOs of the Mercedes um, Corporation uh, once said, you know, I want when people, you know, get out of a Mercedes, I want them to be healthier than at the time when mm. they sat in there. So actually a CEO of a car maker is talking about health mm -hmm. and how to improve driver's health. And you wonder, wait, your product is supposed to bring me from A to B. <laughs> how could it even make me healthier? Or how, why do you even bother? And that's basically the essence of my hypothesis here that um, industry boundaries blur or disappear. Um, the way we know uh, industries, um, you know, it, they, probably they won't exist in, in 10 years from now. Um, mm -hmm. You name it, you know, Apple becomes a fitness brand. Um, would have thought, <laughs> I mean, Apple has been everything, but <laughs> again, um, you know, Siemens, another famous German company. So uh, I beg your pardon, but um, I have to mention a, another company from my uh, home country. Siemens, a classical B2B company. Um, you know, they're famous for their, for their big uh, machines and stuff. So actually, there's another thing that's happening here. It's not only that the boundaries between industries disappear. It's also that the boundaries between B2B and B2C completely disappear. Mm -hmm. So 
Siemens as a classical B2B player is actually, you know, they're after all of us. They, they want us individuals, me and you guys to be, you know, um, citizens of their smart cities. So all the B2B companies are, are, are more and more, you know, seeing the value chain um, towards, you know, a human centric business model. Um, and, and, and that's basically the two things that I wanted to, to, to throw at you and see what you think. So there's no industries in the future and there's no B2B or B2C. There's only business to human, B2H. I like that. that. That could have been one of your predictions at the end of the show. Thank you very much, Axel. Elise, you're sitting next to Axel, whether you know it or not. So you're up next. Elise, what do you think? Agree or disagree? I cannot be more more agreeing. I mean, I fully support your, your, your vision, your statement. And I will add, I don't know if it's going to be business to human or business to user. That can be a little bit more dark. I don't know if they're going to treat us as a humans or as a users, that it can be a little bit different aspect of that. I, I, I think, and just adding some, some thoughts on that, when, when I think uh, how, why corporations exist, you know, that what we are seeing is that some corporations are not able to transform. They are simply get decomposed. And, and why that is happening at that speed and then the, the question it comes, why they exist before? If now they don't look the best solution, most probably for the economy we are building. And, and I think that corporations at the end of the day is, is a solution to an optimization problem of the curve of offer and demand. And on the 20th century, be big and have all the value chain integrated, it was optimal because Transfer costs, retention costs were really expensive. Distribution costs. Then having all the section of the value change integrated into one monolithic piece that we call corporation, it was a winning solution on the non-digital economy. But one of the results of a high-density digital environments, as we are seeing in the B2C space and now are reaching the B2B space, if all of these transactional costs, like distribution, like retention, everything, are going down almost to zero. Then suddenly, be a corporation that has been doing the effort to integrate all of the value is not anymore the optimal solution for a new economy that most probably is not so based in this offer and demand, it's more based on user data and user access is what is driving really value nowadays. And this is why we see this transition from pure B2B players. They cannot be any more pure B2B players. They have to be B2B to human, to customer, to user at least. Because the insight of the user of the product became essential for the business model, even though not even be the client itself. That is one thing. And then of course, naturally, with this liquidity, Sectors naturally disappears to become ecosystems. Uh, Axel point the, the, the car industry, the, 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 the connected autonomous electrical car is not anymore the automotive sector that we used to consider. It's more software than hardware at some point of the value chain. And I do a simple exercise when I'm, I'm invited to a conference. If now when we're leaving this program, there are two cars 
out of the door that are autonomous driving cars. And one, they say that are engineered by BMW to take a brand. And the other is engineered by Apple. Which one you choose to sit in when they tell you that the engineers who designed the software has been the Apple engineers or the famous software engineers from BMW? I say that 90% of the people will take the Apple car, even though Apple had never built a car. And this is why we are changing completely what the values and corporates are playing the role on this new digital economy. Thank you. Alex Brayshaw, I have time for you to comment around the table, and then we're going to have to, I think, go right to our predictions round. Alex, you're up. Okay, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be quick on you. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's a fascinating topic. I, I, I suppose my um, cynical, more cynical side of it is that I, I think the principle of this kind of blurring of the lines between industries and um, brands potentially is, is, could happen. Um, I don't know whether those companies are capable of it happening. So I think there is a capability, you know, if Mercedes wants to talk about healthcare, um, can they really own that market or be in that market? If we think, you know, big companies can translate, transform into different different types of industry, you know, do we end up in a position where actually there's only 10 companies globally that produce anything or, or own anything, which you might argue in some sectors that's already happened. Um, so I, I suppose there's a, there's a domination of, of industries that, that I think consumers actually start to rally against because people say, actually, I don't want to do everything with Amazon. I don't want to do everything with Mercedes. Um, I, want, I want to work with these guys over here who are, who are a small player because generally people want control of um, the things they do because um, I think it's just human nature that uh, you don't always want to feel like you've just been put in this pot with everybody else. So I think there is more of a blurring of it. I think we've seen, I've seen over the last number of years, I think actually financial services is a good area to talk about where um, financial services organisations have tried to move into other sectors um, Mm. and actually have found it very, very difficult um, and they've invested heavily uh, and then have actually retracted from it. Uh, And I've seen the same in retail as well where uh, people have tried to move into financial services. So I think I get the logic and I I think there is going to be much more of it. um, But I... What I wouldn't want us to see go down the route of is that, you know, the world is only owned by Apple, Amazon and Mercedes because I think that removes choice and, and control. And I think the ultimate part for me is partnership. I come back to actually the topic of the whole series. Mm. Those partnerships that, you know, what we might see is Mercedes and Apple become such innate, such integrated partners that you've got the best of, best of Apple and the best of Mercedes coming together. Um, and that those partnerships, I think, could be the, the real key. And I think there's obviously a lot of partnerships we don't even know are going to happen yet. But over the next 10 years, we'll see some really interesting partnerships come. Thank you, Alex, very much. We're almost at the very end, but I want to cover one sentence from statement number four Mm -hmm. Alish sent me because it's very important. Alish, just if you could take 90 seconds really tight, and then we'll do predictions. 60 seconds is all we have left for each of you. So Alish said in statement number four, in fact, digital transformation is 80% transformation and 20% digitalization. Alish, please just explain this 90 seconds. It's important for our audience. Go ahead. It's really simple. It's not honest to ask to the guy that you hired 10 years ago to manage your IT department to now look at the guy and say, now you're responsible for the transformation of this company. This is not the game. The game is not about technology. Technology will do whatever we want. That's it. 
is about how you're able to transform who you are, the business you do, and the team you are managing. And this is not responsibility of a guy that used to be the guy who managed servers and emails, or a new guy that you bring from outside, you appoint the guy as a chief digital officer with some magic powers that will be able to transform the company all, all the way. We have been working the last 20 years suddenly overnight because they have been working in Google before. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great words of wisdom. I'm going to put us back in gallery view here. 60 seconds or less. That's my challenge. Lightning round predictions. Crystal ball, what do you see? We already found out we're going to get away from B2B and B2C and go to B2H, B2Human and B2U, B2User. I love those. So I'm stealing those. I'm borrowing those as my predictions based on our conversation. Alex, you're up. 60 seconds. Veet, veet, veet. Go fast. Um, yes, so uh, the next big innovation, I, I'm kind of terming it, terming it uh, innovation with a conscience. Um, so I think it's about societal in- improvement um, because I think that's going to be a bigger driver and goal than just commercial success. So this idea of innovation with a conscience, I think probably the next big innovation is going to be around the environment and an environmental issue, probably around renewable energy, um, probably something to do with biological kind of uh, solutions to that. But I think that's not the disruption. I think that's the innovation i think the disruption is that it's going to be a free platform so that it becomes like the internet and actually probably it's going to come from a collective of young people from multiple kind of parts of the world because i think they exist within without without boundaries and i think that creativity and technology from those young that younger generation is what's going to deliver it thank you axel 60 seconds so given the power of partnerships um I predict that in the future, not the company with the biggest R&D spend will win, but the company with the biggest spend at people. And when I say people, I don't mean to hire the best because the smartest people will never work for you. But I mean that investing in the right people inside or outside of your company would be key. So I believe the little dated concept of open innovation, you know, we've talking about it for 20 years now, does not only mean that the power of partnerships is the power of partnerships between companies, but also of people inside your company partnering with people outside your company. Thank you. Alicia, I saved 60 seconds for you real fast. Go ahead. Veet, Veet. Okay, I have several. Bitcoin will not do it, even though blockchain will do. Uh, Another AI winter is coming and we will see a flat development of AI application in the next years to come. Too much hype, less reality. And the last and the most important one, Messi will end up his professional career at Barcelona Football Club for sure. Thank you, gentlemen. Give yourselves a round of applause. I had, I wish this could have been a two or three hour conversation. We crammed so much into the one hour of live radio and I appreciate it. Again, let's have a round of applause for Nula Spooner at SAP. Nula, you outdid yourself on this one, dear. You really, really did. Wonderful panel. The A-team, you proved yourself. And let's hear it for Aaron, our fourth in the A-team. I'm sorry, I should have changed my name to Alice or something for this so I could be part of the A-team because B, it just doesn't, doesn't cut it. So I want to say I'm going to do my normal call to action here, and I think you'll all get a kick out of this. 
fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. And as far as fasten your seatbelt goes, my car is getting two months to the gallon. I hope you're doing just as well. Who goes anywhere anymore? Thank you all. Our game changers today were Alex Brayshaw, Axel, Denise, Johannes and Alish Valls. And everybody just remember, be safe, be smart, be savvy. And we'll talk again soon. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Power of Partnerships, changing the game for digital transformation. Presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.